Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. LMFM Podcasts. With CNC Carpets, we bring the showroom to you. Or you can book a personal consultation at our fabulous new showroom in Moortown, Dramiskin. Call 087-660-40-237 or visit our website at cnccarpets.com to book an appointment. CNC Carpets, for all your carpet and wood flooring needs. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Tuesday morning, the 22nd of November. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. The Taoiseach Micheál Martin has said an attack on two Gardaí was brutal and reprehensible and that there would be no tolerance of such violence against Gardaí who put their lives at risk to protect all of us. The Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee, said the attack was disgusting, despicable, thuggish, and unacceptable. Gardaí say two men will appear in court this morning charged with what they describe as a serious assault on members of Angarda Siakana. The two guards attacked in Ballyfermot are based at Ronanstown Garda Station. They were deployed to Ballyfermot to provide cover in an area which government promised to tackle depleted Garda numbers when a patrol car was attacked there in September. The two guards were responding to a row outside a pub when staff asked a group of people to leave because they had been acting unruly inside of the pub. The male Garda was punched and kicked. And as most of us have seen from a video that was posted on social media, his heavy-duty torch was taken from him and it was used to beat him. The Irish Sun reports today that he suffered horrifying facial injuries. He required staples to the back of his head and stitches to his forehead. He also underwent a scan. His female colleague, a probationary Garda, was also attacked and at one point was dragged along by her hair. Both Gardaí have since been released from hospital, but it is probably true to say that they won't forget what happened in Ballyfermot on Sunday night, Monday morning, anytime soon. We can speak now to Brendan O'Connor, who's uh, the president of the GRA. That's the Garda Representative Association. Good morning to you, Brendan. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. There's been widespread condemnation uh, of what happened. uh, And as we've been hearing from government, what happened was unacceptable. But if it was unacceptable, that would mean 
that the type of assault that we've all seen now on this video would never happen. Or if it did, it would be on a rare occasion and it would be treated very seriously. How often do guards come under attack like this? Um, well, I suppose, look, at every thought individual and has different circumstances, but certainly the, the, the number of attacks from Gary has increased exponentially. It's actually almost doubled in, in the last 10 years. We had 144 in um, to 2022 and over 260 last year. And today, this year, we have had uh, in excess of 140 in that October. So, um, you know, this video was circulating. There was one last week in the city centre, which wasn't as vicious, but it was pretty vicious and something similar to Gary and the guy had been repeatedly punched. So, they're, they're isolated. They seem to be quite, quite a phenomenon and something that really needs to be packed and something done about it. Okay, Brendan, uh, you're obviously on a, a mobile phone. The coverage is uh, pretty poor. Uh, I'm not sure if you can move uh, to a, a better area. Uh, or maybe we can try and improve on the line. Uh, but we'll stay with it for a, a moment. Are, are you surprised uh, that what happened in Ballyfermot on Sunday night, Monday morning, happened in Ballyfermot, giving uh, the uh, incident at Cherry Orchard in September? Well, it seems like we've lost that line altogether now. Uh, we'll try to get Brendan O'Connor of uh, the Garda Representative Association back on the line, but perhaps uh, you have some thoughts on this. I think most of us have thoughts on it. There's certainly been plenty said about it. Uh, lots of fine words being used by uh, the government ministers, the Taoiseach, the Minister for Justice, uh, and so on. But assaults of this sort are, are certainly not a, a new thing in this country. We see uh, assaults on Gardaí all of uh, the time, as uh, Brendan was saying to us uh, there a moment ago and uh, just last week, uh, another similar video of uh, an attack on two Gardaí in uh, the city centre. But it's not just attacks on Gardaí, is it? I mean, we hear of uh, these deplorable situations of paramedics coming under attack uh, when uh, they respond to emergency calls because, I don't know, sometimes people are uh, just mad. Other times uh, they've lost the plot because uh, they think they've been waiting too long or maybe they're intoxicated, as uh, the case may be. But we also see uh, attacks on the streets, young people attacking other young people. Uh, and indeed, uh, those attacks are, are quite often witnessed on the sports field. Uh, we're hearing today that the Gardaí, uh, and it seems that all ranks are, are calling for mandatory sentencing. The GRA, which Brendan O'Connor is the president of, uh, and indeed the AGSI, the Association of uh, Sergeant, uh, Garda Sergeants and Inspectors, are calling for mandatory sentencing uh, for these type of attacks on frontline workers. Uh, there is... Uh, a maximum sentence available in the courts uh, and this may be of surprise to you uh, but if you attack a member of Angarda Shiakana uh, there's a maximum sentence of seven years in prison uh, if you assault a, a member of Angarda Shiakana and it causes them serious harm uh, it could result in a life sentence uh, but uh, that's the maximum sentence. Uh, there may not be a custodial sentence. And indeed, uh, you may be found guilty of attacking a guardie or causing serious harm uh, and walk free, depending on the judge in the case that's made. But that maximum sentence, as I say, is seven years uh, and a life sentence for serious harm caused to a member of a guardie O'Connor. We do have Brendan O'Connor back o on the line. And uh, thanks uh, for coming back to us, Brendan. Uh, we were plagued with a, a very bad uh, phone line there. I, I was asked 
asking you about Ballyfermot uh, specifically. Uh, there's been a problem there uh, with uh, the number of Gardaí uh, who are based in that station, as I understand it. And there were promises made in September when there was the ramming of uh, the Garda car in Cherry Orchard. Are, are you surprised that this uh, attack took place in Ballyfermot and that it was an attack on two members of the force who were drafted in to provide cover where there's a manfall shortage? Well, we wouldn't be surprised that it happened specifically in Ballyferma. These attacks are happening all over the country and they're happening in, in, in the places where you least suspect them. So um, Ballyferma is a large urban population and there's a, there's a significant population, there's a lot of young people. So it needs, it needs a guard of presence and it, the members that I speak to on the ground there would say that they have been neglected, they have been let down. So, so it's any place where there's a... a, a a vacuum or, or, or a gap in police, and it can contribute. I'm not saying it's the sole cause, but it can contribute to these problems. And it's very, very hard to make up ground when you've lost ground because, you know, community guardy on the beat, uh, guards that are there permanently who have the time to take the time to patrol, to interact with people in between calls, get to know people, develop relationships. That's all very effective police. And so, but when you have a fire brigade service that's understaffed and demoralised, people mm. just rushing from call to call, burned out. They don't build up relations. It can contribute to, to, to um, I suppose, a situation where, where lawlessness can can prevail. But I'm not saying that body firm is lawlessness. I'm just saying that there's a lot of factors, a lot of, of that feed into this. But, mm, but there were a lot of promises. Perspective. There were a lot of promises. Uh, I think is the point that I was putting to you uh, a couple of months ago. Uh, but it still uh, remains understaffed. It seems. Well, you see. Michael, you, you can't promise to deliver more when you don't have more to give. All we can do is, mm. is rearrange the pieces on the chessboard. We don't have any additional Gary. In fact, we've less Gary. So mm. if we say that we're going to do something and, and put people in somewhere, you're taking them from somewhere else. And that's essentially the problem. We're moving yeah. the, the deck chairs on the Titanic. And I hate to use cliches, but policing is at a, at a tipping point in this country. And I mean, we only have to look at what happened in Drogheda for your listeners yeah. in the Northeast to see it's just when you neglect policing and you don't invest it and you don't consistently can provide the service that's what happens and and more and more we're hearing from our members on the ground that these mm. new systems new initiatives and promise they're not delivering so this is old. this is acceptable uh, i mean that's you, people will say it's unacceptable uh, but if you don't do something to actually stamp it out you're accepting it uh, you're fall, bending over and falling over and, and, and saying there's nothing we can do about it Yes, well, well, exactly, and, and it's 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 all these, you know, and it's it's very good. It's, it means a lot for guards to hear the support awards from people, whether they're politicians, community activists, ever. But really, politicians and the lawmakers are the people who can make a difference. And Senator Robbie Gallagher has 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 a bill before the House of the Rockness, and if that gained all all party support, that would bring in mandatory custodial sentences for these types of attacks. So, mm. you know, let's let's see the action. And and from our own guard authorities and guard management, these initiatives and telling people about this great operating police model that 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 that, you know, joining joining loads with Cavan and Monaghan is going mm. to give people a better policing service in Dundalk or Drogheda or Cavan Town or Monaghan. Yeah. I'm sorry, but these promises from from our members' perspective you know, we, we, you talk about Ballyfermot. Ballyfermot was downgraded from a district headquarters in the 2013 uh, realignment programme. And now we see serious problems with police in Ballyfermot. So right. our members, and we're accused of being cynical and we're, we're accused of shroud waving, but we're saying now the next programme of reform that's been held up as, as a great future, we can see that nothing positive. It's creating many, many problems. We don't have the personnel. They're not putting the building blocks of foundations in place. These grandiose schemes that promise plenty and deliver very Well, speaking, sp- speaking of promises, Brendan, we're promised a, a thousand extra guards next year. That was announced under uh, the Budget 23 announcements. Uh, and that 
uh, on the face of it will be very welcome news. But we were promised 800 guards, I think, in the previous budget and only 100 recruits. Exactly. So that's that's what it's all about. I mean, these promises don't materialise. And again, we have an exodus on the other side of the force. So the people who are, for every recruit that comes in, the, you know, they're only making up to tread water because we're losing people at a phenomenal rate. And while we always lost people to natural ways, it's true, people in recent retirement age, what we're finding there is people are, are leaving the minute they can retire, not everybody. And also a new phenomenon is get younger guarding leaving before they have built up their service or before they're released. People are choosing to say, this profession isn't for me. And whenever we see what happened in Ballyfermot, yeah. uh, I don't think it's any coincidence, but that actually is an area where we have seen a significant number of resignations where young people are saying, this is not, this, 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 this job is not for me. And whether, what's, what's contributing to that? We don't know exactly because, again, we think it's remiss of the organisation. There isn't exit interviews, so we're not delving into the problem. Right. It's kind of, it's, it's as if the authorities don't want to listen to the problem. And we're, we're probably boring people with, our, with, with talking about the problems. But, I mean, if people would listen to us, we have the solution. But there's this condescending attitude of, uh, you know, people in authority, people in oversight. And and I, people think people, in I think people listening to you this morning, ordinary people listening this morning, will welcome the opportunity to start this conversation uh, and to talk about uh, the reason that people behave like this. And the reason that people behave like this is because they can. It's probably because uh, they're animals or they're acting like animals, but uh, that's not the reason for it. The reason that they do it is because they can or they believe they can or they believe that they can and they will get away with it. And whilst we lost you on the line there, uh, I was leading up to a question about mandatory sentencing. You say it should be for Gardaí and all frontline workers, uh, but what what about these street brawls? Uh, and, I mean, surely an assault on anyone uh, is unacceptable or should be unacceptable behaviour and not just in the sense that we call it unacceptable we treat it as something unacceptable and we impose a mandatory sentence and that would uh, uh, roll over not just into the streets and street balls uh, and malaise and that sort of thing but also onto sporting fields Yes well the basic, it's a basic human psychology that you have to know that there are, there, are, there, are, there are implications for your actions. And what we see is that a lot of people that we deal with who break the law and engage in antisocial behaviour at a low level or serious assault, they don't fear the consequences of their actions. And that seems to be a fundamental balance in, in the law, in the legal system. But yet we have Gary who feel very much under siege that if they go out and if they use the bat to defend themselves or to affect the rest, they will be absolutely investigated to the degree. They'll be suspended immediately if there's a suspicion of something. Okay, they might be cleared in a couple of years' time, but they're put through hell. So the message that the guards are saying, don't you go out and be robust uh, people about doing your job and enforce the law and, and be a strong presence. It's apologise for existence, hide the fact that we carry batons, apologise for enforcing the law, but the lawbreakers can come and attack guards and, and slip into the night and there seems to be no resources or, or no emphasis on, on correcting that behaviour or need mm. members of the public. So yeah. the, the pendulum has swung is what we are saying. Okay. Completely horrific, in the wrong direction. H- horrific physical injuries. Um, can't speak for the Garda as I'm sure you won't either, Brendan, but you'd imagine that there would be psychological injuries uh, as well and that that kind of an assault on anybody, even a a member of Angarda Siakana, would have an adverse uh, effect on you. Uh, As members of our police force, are are you trained uh, to deal with an attack on you, uh, a physical attack on you like that, psychologically? We would say that we're not trained adequately, both physically and, I suppose, psychologically. There are supports there, there's counselling services, but um, it, 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 
it's something that is 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 probably could could be developed better because, as you said, the psychological effect. I mean, when you speak to guards or substance assault, it does take away our confidence, and then there's that added pressure because we're kind of held up in mid the field that we're supposed to be a bit stronger than everyone else. We just mm-hmm. isn't isn't the case. We're just ordinary people doing an extraordinary job. But certainly, in relation to training, again, that's something that's on the GRA have been beaten for years. People are given very, very basic first, uh, or sorry, self-defence training in Temple Moor. They're put out in the street, and even the equipment that we do have, which we think isn't really up to up to scratch, a lot of the guards now are going around, and we haven't had a refresher training. Actually, the certification for even the use of the handcuffs that the baton is actually expired. Mm. And the authorities are hiding behind COVID for that, but you know we, we don't we don't buy that. You know, okay. it's, a, it's a lack of emphasis on training. It's a lack of regard. Basically, the guards of the front line feel very exposed and very vulnerable, and we don't feel the support is there from either our politicians or our own management to really accept the reality of what young guards, particularly inexperienced guards, are going out there and facing. And that video just laid bare for the general public to see what our members are facing. Okay, Brendan, thanks for joining us this morning. Brendan O'Connor is the president of uh, the GRA, the Garda Representative Association. Michael Reed on LMFM. The invasion of Ukraine, uh, the war in Europe uh, has just been a wonderful war for some energy providers who have seen already huge profits soar. Uh, and uh, it's you and me who are paying for it. Uh, the government is uh, to get a, a memo from uh, the Minister for Climate, Eamon Ryan, today, which could result in a windfall tax on electricity companies. The upshot of that could be that the government will raise somewhere between €400 million Euro and €1 billion. Euro. Let's speak uh, to Sinn Féin's spokesperson on climate action, Darren O'Rourke, who's Sinn Féin TD for Mideast. And a very good morning to you and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. Does that in effect mean that we are potentially, as a nation, paying up to €1 billion more than we should be for our electricity? It does. Yeah, that's that's exactly what it means. Um, uh, uh, you know, the approach that's been taken here is what's a reasonable profit for these already profitable companies to take? And then above that, um, it's only fair at this time of crisis that um, those excess profits uh, go back to the state and can be used to offset the increasing cost of, of, uh, of, of energy. Um, okay, the but the, of, reason, the, cost of living. the reason the cost of energy has gone up is because gas prices have rocketed. Uh, But uh, electricity, uh, the cost of electricity is based on the cost, the price of gas. Uh, But you don't need gas to produce electricity all of the time. and, And quite a few providers don't use gas. Absolutely, yeah. So, so, so just to, to give some, some detail, and, and I would say this is a welcome move, but it's 12 months later than, than it could have been and should have been. Government have resisted these proposals. But we have a, an energy market um, that basically sets, uh, that has gas setting the price of all of the, the providers. So um, whether you're generating electricity with wind or solar or coal or oil, um, uh, gas is that you're paying the price of, of gas. So it's absolutely perverse um, 
that we're not realizing the benefit of having renewables on our grid. So really, you you know, and, and I'm our climate spokesperson, you want a scenario where you can say to people, the more renewable energy we put on our grid, the cheaper your bills are going to be. Yeah. And we haven't had that scenario. In fact, the opposite has been the case um, that the profits of renewables companies have uh, just gone to astronomical levels, offensive levels mm. um, in, in the last year. Um, and with probably the exception of, of the ESB, um, there has been no move to, to try and, and capture those excess profits. Okay, help, help me try and understand that a, a little bit better. If electricity is being generated using wind, uh, they're talking about putting a, a cap on that to €120 Euro per megawatt an hour, yeah. uh, which doesn't really mean much to me. But instead of 120 euro, uh, is it that they're charging 240 euro? Oh, sure, sure. There's the times, right. Michael, where they're charging over 400 euro. 400 you know, euro. That, yeah, okay. absolutely. Now, now, and absolutely. again, again, to help me try and understand. So, so they're capping out at 120 uh, and they're charging 240 or 400 more likely. Mm. Uh, and that's because the cost of gas has gone up. But they're they're not using the the gas at all. They're using wind to generate. Absolutely, it. and 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 just just to explain the logic in relation to it. In, in fairness to the energy companies, mm. they operate within a market that they didn't design. They yeah. didn't design this market. It's That's not, not their fault. It's, yeah, it's, exactly. So they and and the reason the, the logic behind it, the logic mm. behind this approach is the last uh, molecule that goes onto the grid, and it's usually gas. It's usually the most expensive uh, on the day. That sets the price for everything mm. else that goes on to, onto the grid. The incentive of there for companies is well if I get into renewables I'm going to have super profits right so the, but there's so also the, the other point is they're not that they don't have any option they have to charge 400 instead of 120 let's say uh, and they're laughing all the way to the bank but they can sleep with a good conscience because they're not deciding to put up the prices that's the law Absolutely, absolutely. And that's why Sinn Féin, amongst others, have been calling for energy market reform for years, literally for years. My colleagues at a European level, it's, it's mandated, it's done at a European level. Um, that's why they've been calling for it, because it's, it's, a, it's an absolutely perverse uh, uh, system. But the logic is you give really generous profits to renewables companies, and the incentive is to invest in renewables. You know, so that, that, that was the logic behind it. And in fact, as recently as the 11th of August this year, a handful of months ago, arguing against a windfall tax, our Minister for Finance said, well, that would undermine investment in renewables. That would undermine the profits of renewables companies. And we were screaming from the rooftop saying, but we're in an unprecedented time. The profits are off the charts. It's, you know, it's offensive. It's, you know, incredible the, the level of profits that these companies are reporting. They never expected to make the types of profits that they're making. None of their business models are based on the type of profits that they're getting. Um, so, so it is welcome that, mm. that, that this measure has been introduced. And, and but, uh, again, just to help me understand it, instead of charging 400, if that is capped at 120, they'll still be making profits. Oh, for sure. And, and the, the, at a European level, um, they're capping it at 180 uh, as opposed to 120. And in fairness, that's an argument that we had made across the, the Dáil Chamber that we thought 180 was, was too high. And in fairness to, to the minister and government, uh, they agreed with it on, on 120. But yes, mm. they are making a fair profit because, what the, the, you know, it depends from day to day. But you're, 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 you're talking anywhere between 75 and 100 euros per megawatt hour. Mm. 
that's what that's what what wind and solar are are breaking and at. So can, there's, can, there's, can this tax be applied retrospectively? Can we go back in time? Yeah, it 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 can, um, and and it should be. Uh, again, we have to see the details of it, but it, it it certainly should be. In in my opinion, certainly for 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 this year and next year, um, we we have to see the details uh, when 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 government come with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think there are also other measures that that they, they they need to take and one of them is so this is on as you've rightly articulated there this is on the profits of renewables companies mm. but we also need to tackle the massive excess profits of uh, gas and fossil fuel companies now we, we mm. only have one but we we're, you've seen internationally bp shell mm-hmm. um uh, exxon mobil all of them re- reporting just um, spectacular what, is the, profits. What, what is the government to do uh, about uh, that because uh, they're also at least uh, the, the proposal is to introduce a temporary solidarity contribution yeah, and, and, and they need to move in relation to that because because the, the operating costs of uh, uh, Vermilion, the company that operates uh, Carob Gas, their operating, you know, their operating costs haven't increased. It still costs them the same, well, with inflation, to take the, the gas out of the ground. Mm. But their, their profits have increased um, uh, like exponentially because of the, the, the war in Ukraine. So mm. there is a need to tackle those excess profits as well um, and, and redistribute them. Okay. That's going to be done at a European level. I think, you know, there are considerations there that they're saying we, we need to be careful not to, because it's a global market and we don't we want to be competitive on a global market. But I think it's absolutely offen- equally offensive the, the profits that those companies are making and it has to be tackled. And, and just to, to flag it again, this is a system, a market that has been, that is broken and needs to be reformed. And we have a government that mm. for the last 12 months uh, uh, have resulted resisted those reforms. I'm, I'm glad to see they've, they've, they're, they're starting to change that position. Okay, so what will it mean for all of this, uh, for all of us, uh, if, however much is raised through uh, these taxes and these contributions, uh, 400 million to a billion is estimated, will that mean that we'll have cheaper electricity bills and, uh, or will it be that we'll be getting more of these energy credits or will it also have an impact on gas, oil, coal and so on? So it, it remains to be seen what government are going to, to do with it. They, they, this, this specific reason that these proposals, that these measures were introduced at a European level and now are being introduced in, in Ireland is to offset the increasing cost of energy and the cost of living. So the form that that takes, uh, we, we'll have to wait to see from government. But I, I would implore them to act as quickly as is possible. As I say, they have been very slow to the game in relation to this. Uh, we have said, you know, 12 months ago, they voted against this windfall tax proposal. Our uh, neighbours in in uh, Spain and uh, Portugal uh, went on their own and Consumers there have been benefiting from from this windfall tax for the last six months. Uh, in Ireland, we're just we're just getting to it now. So so government do need to act on it. Um, we need to realise these uh, uh, these incomes and to to redistribute them to to people in need okay. who are who are faced with the increasing cost of energy. And it needs to be part 
Michael, of a suite of measures. So again, there's other areas like standing charges, government aren't acting in relation to those. In relation to our unfair PSO, the public service obligation that's on every electricity bill, there's moves that could be made there to make it more fair and to reduce the cost of electricity for people. And Sinn Féin have, have consistently pointed the government in that direction. Okay, we have to leave there. Thank you indeed for joining us though this morning. That's uh, Darren O'Rourke, who's a Sinn Féin TD for Mead East. He's also Sinn Féin spokesperson on climate action. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. As you heard on LMFM's news, Gardaí and uh, the PSNI have uh, been involved in a cross-border operation aimed at clamping down on so-called boy racers. Let's uh, speak to local Sinn Féin councillor Anton Waters, who is on the line. And a very good morning to you and thank you indeed. I believe this was uh, the subject uh, of much discussion at uh, the most recent meeting of uh, Dundalk's Joint Policing Committee. It's not a new problem by any means, is it? Good morning, Michael, and thanks for having me on. Um, Look, no, it's not a new new problem, unfortunately. Uh, I'm six years on the council this month and it's probably the one issue that has always been raising its head every couple of months and coming up to the festive season now um, I know a couple of years ago around Christmas and St Stephen's Day it was a big issue for residents in the North Lead area trying to enjoy their festive season and like as I said everyone wants to enjoy some time at home but they don't need this nuisance um, on, their, on their doorstep and the problem we have is that uh, it's, just, it's just ongoing and uh, Every opportunity I get, I raise it with the guards. We had cross-border meetings with the guards and the Mm. PSNI previously trying to to deal with it and also working with colleagues of mine in the north, Liz Kimmins and Roshi Mulgrew, were trying to do the cross-border approach to try and see is there something we're missing that we need to try and deal with this issue. Is is it a nuisance though or is it something more than that? Uh, Are people concerned about the danger of uh, this type of behaviour? Oh, of course, yeah. Look, it's a nuisance, but it's also a danger. Like, I would have had residents on who are waiting 10, 15 minutes along the old Dublin Road to go home because this activity is happening at the bottom of Eden Tubber. Like, you should be able to travel on the road or go wherever you want without any delay and not have to wait for um, this activity to stop. And I suppose the risk is, like, when they're doing this, like, someone could get badly hurt. Um, And, look, we've had enough tragedies on our road and... um, Unfortunately, this is one that I feel is waiting to happen and we really need a... My whole emphasis was that we need to just keep the pressure on, to keep doing the joint operations. Mm. There's no point in uh, letting this lie because it just keeps raising its head. And, like, the residents are fed up and I can understand why. Like, I, I, I'm in a group with them and every Thursday night it's, here we go again, another mm. night, like, you're trying to get... And they, these are organised events, are they? Yeah, look, mm-hmm. it seems to be gatherings mm-hmm. happen in Newry and they also happen in Undock and then they proceed out mm-hmm. to these areas. How many cars uh, at any given time? Oh, there could be 20 to 30 cars, mm-hmm. easily. Mm-hmm. And the problem we have is it moves along the border, so it could go over to the likes of Hackball's Cross around that area sometimes. Then it comes over to us at Carrick, Arn and Eden Tubber. Mm-hmm. So it just kind of moves along. And it's hard for the guards, too, I understand that. Um, like they are putting in the operations, but they can slip over and back the border, and it's hard. Like sometimes when they do the cross border ones, where mm. they checkpoint one side, north and south, it works because you're you're really getting them contained in one area, and they've been checked and everything's been done. But it's very hard to catch them in the act when they're doing it, and the delays that it's causing. But again, my main emphasis at the meeting was 
and um, we just need to keep double the efforts to get it yeah. done. As I say, coming up to the fastest season when it gets it gets really bad, we need to just focus to get it, mm. you know, nipped in the bud once and for all. Yeah, and uh, uh, what are you talking about? Spell it out for us. I mean, is it donuts and uh, roaring engines, or uh, is there racing involved, or, or what, what? What are we talking about? No, there's no racing. It would be donuts and screeching tires and yeah. all the things that come with it. I wouldn't know too much about it if I'm yeah. honest, but mm. that's that's what's happening. And unfortunately, I have seen the videos like some residents could be coming home from work and they would send me a video of them stuck in the traffic and this is what's going on you know and mm. um, but it's just a, it's just a nuisance like you're 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 you look people are living close to this area michael and the clouds are very close to where it's happening and the noise is 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 desperate there's no other way of putting it but it's desperate you know mm. and and the safety and the issues that come with it yeah, yeah well those donuts especially when you've got you know 20 30 cars around you bring you got 100 people around and a car can go out of control uh, very quickly i think when you're trying to do that uh, because you're talking about young people People, I think predominantly without meaning to uh, stereo uh, stereo uh, type anybody uh, but uh, predominantly young men uh, but quite a, a lot of young women as well yeah look there's a mixture of different people that go to it and look on, on like the way I look at it too I have thought about like is there other ways we can try and look at maybe getting an alternative to this Michael and you know I'm not having the blinkers on either I'm thinking yeah. is there something we can do but there's also like insurance issues where like there is places up the north like I think a nuts corner where people can go and rally cars and do all this but mm. it's a long distance away and I have thought is there something we need to try and do somewhere you know, off road locally that, yeah. off road and yeah. the problem yeah. I have or we see with that is it, there's insurance issues like I have looked into this before as I said mm. I'm on the council six years this has gone on six years yeah. it, it raised its head at certain points oh, but sure you can't get insurance for trampolines no you can't get it for a trampoline <laughs> or a venture castle never mm. mind this mm. so yeah. here's, the, here's the other side of the problems that you're dealing with too but like I have thought about these issues too and if there's something I'm missing I'm, I'm willing to see if there's something we need to look at but at the minute and my main focus is now we need to double the efforts and I appreciate the efforts the guards are making in relation to it, but I just yeah. think we should double it coming up to Christmas because everyone should enjoy our festive season things are hard enough never mind this nuisance as well Alright we'll leave it there thank you indeed for joining us uh, this morning Sinn Féin Councillor Anton Waters now some comments coming to us uh, somebody else uh, in touch with us saying uh, that there was uh, that type of behaviour car racing in a, a local supermarket on Thursday night last week Deirdre saying dreadful what happened to the Gardaí in Dublin Betty says uh, the judges need to wake up and smell the cappuccinos when dealing with thugs the villains get more protection than law abiding people and life should mean 30 years not 7 years or 9 years for that matter thank you Betty uh, an avid listener says the social welfare which a lot of these thugs assaulting people uh, are on should be reduced as a, a way of making them pay fines and one way of punishing punishing them. Law and order is breaking down at all levels. Punishment is too lax, says our caller. Thank you if you have been in touch with us. If not, you're welcome to phone us 041-983-2000 our telephone number, that's 041-983-2000 You can text or WhatsApp 86 658 or email michael at lmfm.ie Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, just some more of uh, the comments coming to us. Uh, Geraldine in touch with us about the attack on uh, the two guardies. She says it was absolutely shocking and uh, the people responsible have to be held accountable. Maybe arming the guardie is uh, the way forward when it comes to tackling this. It might be the only deterrent that stops these attacks from happening. 
Thanks, Geraldine. Uh, it's an interesting issue that you raise. Um, I think uh, there's always been a, a lot of pride uh, in people as a, a nation in the fact that our police force has been unarmed. Uh, but Geraldine suggesting that maybe the time has come to have armed officers patrolling the streets. Joey, in touch with us, also discussed it at the recent spate of attacks on members of Vanguardia Shikana. These men and women are just doing their job, trying to keep the streets of our towns and cities safe. And they're being subjected to brutal assaults like this. He says the most sickening part is that people stood by and filmed these attacks rather than try to help or call for assistance from uh, the Gardaí for the fallen officers. And thank you indeed. Uh, there was a, a lot of comments as well. A lot of people were uh, revelling in the uh, idea of uh, the Gardaí coming under attack like that. Mary in touch with us today too. She believes that there should be an immediate custodial sentence handed down to anyone who injures or harms a member of the emergency services while they're doing their job. It should be an across-the-board approach for Gardaí, ambulance staff, fire services, nurses, etc. Violence against emergency staff workers must not be tolerated under any circumstances. Thanks, Mary, for sharing that with us. I take it you don't go as far as me and say that there should be a mandatory sentence for anyone who assaults another person, regardless, because I just think it's animalistic. Anyway, thank you, as I say, for your call to the programme today. If you would like to make comment and you'd like to phone us with your comment, our telephone number is 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp us if you prefer. The number to send a text on is 0861800658. And you can email michael at lmfm.ie. Now, as you've been hearing in uh, the headlines uh, this morning, uh, the Minister for Transport, Eamon Ryan, has said that he will revisit the idea of all of the motorway tolls bar the port tunnel increasing in January. Uh, There is a bit of a problem with that, though. Uh, It looks as though the government will have to compensate uh, the toll operators to the tune of €25 million, if that is uh, the case. Let's speak to Ken O'Healy of the Make Drogheda Toll-Free campaign. Good morning, Ken, and thanks uh, indeed for joining us. Uh, One time, uh, councillor based in Drogheda, an independent councillor back then, you started this campaign. Uh, How long have you been protesting about tolls in Drogheda? I know that uh, you're usually up at uh, the toll gate on New Year's Day, but that goes back a long time since you started this campaign. Well, good morning, Michael, and good morning to your listeners. Um, thank you for inviting me onto the show. Um, it goes back to the, the inception of the tolls in 2004, uh, and I have every New Year's Day held a protest, and, and the reason for the New Year's Day protest is that it, traditionally that's when the toll prices are reviewed and new prices are put up. So I always try to mark that occasion and keep alive the opposition and keep it focused on people's minds, uh, you know, that the, these charges are going up because they can slip in at a time when people are focused on the festive season. So mm. uh, so it's been 2004 to date and uh, there is remaining on, on the uh, toll contract 11 years uh, until it comes up for full review. And I've got a few ideas on what we need to do there. Okay, tell us them if you would. Uh, well, I, I would like to see maybe the state uh, stepping in uh, to buy out the, the contract mm. uh, and uh, take over the tolls and have them removed. Um, I'm specifically looking at uh, the ramp tolls at Junction 9 uh, uh, because they are on the Denora Road uh, and impinging on people coming and going about their daily shopping, mm. traveling from one shopping centre to another. 
if, if, if the toll charges were removed, people would have a five-minute journey between both shopping centres, mm. whereas at the moment they will be forced down through the town and it takes a half an hour maybe and sometimes three quarters an hour to get from one shopping centre to the other. Right. So uh, that's the idea of the ramp tolls. Mm. But I know the people in Julianstown uh, have, have their difficulties with high volumes of vehicles in Julianstown. Yeah, they certainly and do. They might have, and they would have a view mm. on maybe the main toll plaza and we would be very supportive of any initiative they might bring forward to have that removed. Mm. Uh, so so that people that, would take the motorway rather than coming through Julianstown? That, that would be, yeah. that yeah. Would, either that or uh, the, I think the people in Julianstown may be looking to have a bypass of Julianstown, but a, a much more cost-effective way would be to have the, the, the existing road that's there. It is a bypass, would allow people to continue on on their journey rather diverting through and through Julianstown. Okay. Uh, uh, but again, too, it's just that to put, that is our long-term goal. I mean, that's something I've been campaigning for mm. since 2004, to have these tolls removed. But uh, in relation to Minister Ryan... If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And what he may propose to do. Because we are in the middle of a cost-of-living crisis. Mm. And the, the, the toll charges on the M50, the East Link... The, the port tunnel mm. are all exempt from VAT. And no, Minister Ryan should be looking at the 23% that he's charging uh, VAT on the M1. Okay, should there, be any, sh- should there be a toll on, on the M50? Uh, because uh, that's the property of the state, is it not? Well, well th- that is, you know, tolls actually, we have, in the north of Ireland, uh, there is no tolls. Mm. Uh, it is another way of generating revenue. And uh, it, it is impinging upon, I mean, 
the food on our shelves. I mean, truck drivers, HGVs, uh, well, cars on the M1 has been hit for 10 cents. Uh, and the same on the M50 and the Port Tunnel. Oh, sorry, the Port Tunnel remains unchanged, but mm-hmm. the East Link will certainly have the 10 cents for cars. HGVs are being hammered uh, by an additional 50 cents. So that's going to increase the cost of your food okay. product being delivered into the shops in around our town. So, okay, so you want the VAT taken off the tolls uh, on the M1 motorway? As, as, a, mm. as, a, as a Christmas uh, present to, to the town, yes. Mm. Okay. Because that is something that's within the remit of the minister. They, I mean, they don't necessarily have... Uh, but again, too, is that the tolls... The toll companies actually have put in the maximum toll rate allowed mm. under the uh, index. Yeah. They should then be approached to say, well, look, okay, we're in the middle of this crisis, this, this uh, you know, food crisis yeah. in relation to people having affordability to put food on the table, mm. that they would not go for the maximum increase on the toll. Mm. So the, you, they, the, the minister could go back and say, to them, look, could you just pull back a bit? And also, too, is that the, the government could remove the VAT. That is something yeah. that could be done now, immediately. OK, whatever about the VAT, uh, I mean, if you go to the toll operators and argue that we're in the middle of a cost-of-living crisis, I'm right. sure they're going to say, tell me about it. Look at us, uh, the inflation uh, on construction. And when it comes to maintaining and repairing the roads so that they're fit for purpose, uh, we have extra costs ourselves. It costs us more to provide these roads. I accept that point, and because uh, look, I'm in the construction end of it and overseeing. I, I, I know well the cost of materials, but the one thing is that a lot of the toll operations now, especially even on the ramp tolls, mm. they're not manned anymore. They're all automated, That's true, yeah. so they yeah. don't have they don't have those costs of having someone there. Uh, so it's the people, the vehicles themselves are administering their own toll charge uh, when they go up and put their mm. money in and seek. Uh, you know, there, there are slips, there are pay slips, and that. Yep. So, like, they have had cost savings. So, like, I mean, they need to give something back mm. and not necessarily set this at the maximum toll. Okay, let me ask you another question in relation to this because I know you're a, a keen environmentalist, and I think people will remember you walking to the recycling centre with a right. wheelbarrow full of stuff yeah. to be recycled, so that you wouldn't have to pay to go in. Uh, but that was a, a point that you were making uh, that it could be done. Uh, and that you could recycle for free. Uh, the minister has been saying, if uh, the toll operators don't impose these additional charges, they'll have to be compensated, uh, and that will cost the state €25 million. Euro. Uh, and if that is to happen, there's going to be an impact on the environment, or a, at least on some of the measures that uh, the government is hoping uh, to take that would bring uh, about positive climate change measures. Uh, and in other words, that you'd have to get that money from somewhere. So do you take it off public transport or cycling lanes or, or somewhere else uh, that uh, the Department of Transport is responsible for? Well, I, I suppose, actually, if, if I was to look at the impact of the tolls on Drogheda's carbon footprint, even taking a leisurely walk, which I, I tend to walk a fair bit out around the town, the constant static traffic pumping out tons of fumes. Where the, the carbon footprint in this town is off the scale, uh, and that is impacted people's health. Mm. So while Minister Ryan might be looking at some national <clears throat> point in relation to keeping a carbon footprint, it's certainly off the Richter scale in Drogheda. And uh, keeping traffic moving 
it'd be more efficient on our carbon footprint than having the congested streets that we have. And is so that I going to get worse? Is it going to get worse in places like Drogheda and Julianstown because uh, the tolls, I mean, they're increasing and nobody's going to like it, especially if you do a lot of uh, travelling. Uh, but uh, what people, what ordinary motorists have to pay in comparison to trucks really is little or nothing. I mean, we're talking about 720, I think, uh, for some of the tolls, for some of the trucks, and they won't be just passing through one toll, uh, but quite possibly two or three tolls in a day, and then the return journey. Well, look, it's certainly, it's certainly happening on a large scale where trucks are diverting away from the, from the toll booths. That is obviously to anybody that's, that, that observes the traffic. We see HGVs every day coming from the north, maybe heading for a, a particular place on the south of the town, and we would see them trucks regularly coming through. This is going to increase because it's going to be worth a while to, to divert because of these increasing costs. And they are trying to make savings, and they're trying to do that by diverting. Uh, yes, it might increase the journey time, but at the end of the day, they can only get X amount of deliveries done in a day. And, you know, like, the, day, the, the time will still be allowed, I think, for them to be able to do their delivery. I think they've calculated it all. Because certainly by their actions, they are diverting. This is going to increase. And it's going to make our town a lot more difficult to get from north to south, east to west. Because all our uh, artery roads are chock-a-block. Taxi drivers actually are diverting out around the north to get to the north side of Drogheda. And vice versa, going back out again and coming back around by the north. Because the toll charges just would add too much cost to their daily routine. Mm. So, like, I mean, I suppose if I could just simply say is that yeah. the removing of the toll will have a, such a positive impact on our day-to-day life. And one village I always uh, feel is hard done by, uh, uh, really on a daily basis, is uh, Tully Allen. When many of the parents from that village will have children in St. John's and Paul's School and St. Oliver's, mm. uh, which is on Marley's Lane. And it's a five-minute journey on the, on the bypass yeah. to, get to, to, that, to get to that school journey. And, of course, that school journey could be for the primary school and, and uh, the, the secondary school. And they might have one or two runs uh, bringing the children there and then taking the children back. So it's not financially viable especially in these cash-strapped times, to be dropping children over and back. So many of the, most of the traffic, you'll find that Mel, the Trinity Street area, is chock-a-block on a daily basis. Mm. And, and it's forcing people down over the Bridge of Peace onto that chaotic junction at, at the Ratmullen uh, Bridge of Peace section, where there's regular car uh, accidents there. And if we can just try and ease the burden on those traffic junctions, and allow people to travel the safe, short journey from Tully Allen into uh, the schools, we will see a much, of course, it'll also help our carbon footprint. Because if you go up Trinity Street any day, which I'm regularly on, uh, you will you'll just choke with the fumes. Mm. Okay, Cam. There are arguments you're making that are very hard to argue with. Thanks for making them on the programme this morning. Much appreciated uh, and good to talk to you again. That's Ken O'Healy of the Make Drogheda Toll Free Campaign. 
Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, the latest report from uh, daft.ie shows uh, that the availability of rental homes is more or less at an all-time low. That means uh, that just over 1,000 homes, 1,087 homes were available to rent on the 1st of November. In the third quarter of 2022, rents were on average 14.1% more expensive than they would have been on the same period uh, the previous year. And this is the highest ever increase recorded by daft.ie, which has been measuring uh, the increase in rent since 2006. Let's speak to Ronan Lyons, who's the author of uh, the report and an economist at Trinity College in Dublin. Good morning again, Ronan. And once again, once again, you're talking about record uh, prices, record increases, or as you put it, more grim reading for those hoping for an end uh, to this problem. Uh, But uh, you're zoning in in particular on the increase between June and September, which in itself is dramatic. That's right. Normally, and we haven't really had a normal housing system or normal rental system for a while, but even if you if you go back to the late 2010s, when, when rents were rising, they might have been rising in different years, 6, 7, 8, 9% per year. And when you think about that on a kind of a quarter-to-quarter basis, you'd see an increase of one5 2, maybe 2.5%. Countrywide, on average, there was an increase of nearly 4.5% between June and September. That's the biggest three-month increase um, I've, I've seen. And it's, that's a, this is our 66th time, I think, doing this report. So it's the, the biggest of the 66 quarterly increases. And when you zoom around the country and, and look at different counties, for example, if you look at, at Loud and Mead, the increase between June and September, again, just three months, is about 6%. Um, in just a three-month period, uh, and that, that is it's unprecedented. It's not un, not unpredictable. Uh, uh, the, the last time we spoke, um, uh, three months ago, we were chatting about the lack of availability and how unfortunately that was likely to mean to be increases down the line. So it's not unpredictable, but it is unprecedented just how much rents have risen in the last few months alone. Okay, on average, uh, they're asking one thousand six hundred and eighty-nine euro in County Mead, which is. 13.8% higher in uh, the third quarter of the year than the year previous, uh, but it's up 149% uh, from its lowest point, up 141% from its lowest point in County Louth, where now people are being asked on average for €1,536. How are, are people supposed to pay that? Uh, what should you be earning if you're able to afford that sort of rent? Yeah, and this this comes down to the, the important difference between the say, the owner occupied and the rental market. Um, in the owner occupied market, it, by and large, a household is a household. You've, you've one or two incomes. You have a, a single person, a couple, or a family, and that's the household unit, and that's who you're, in, in, for want of a better phrase, competing with when you're in the open market. In the rental um, market, things are different because, in addition to uh, those who either for lifestyle reasons or t- more typically be- because of a lack of income they, they're not able to buy you have um, households families that are that are renting and they have one one and a half maybe two incomes but you also have groups of young professionals or students who understandably are renting uh, and what they have been able to do over the last five six years is add extra income that extra heads into the headcount in, in, in the in the home. So instead of three in a three bed you might have five in a three bed. Um, that is what is 
uh, enabling these increases. And that's, of course, not to blame the people that are doing that. They're just looking for somewhere to live. Yeah. And with an incredible shortage, the, 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 um, the outturn has been these, these big increases. But as you say, if you're a, an ordinary family with an income that's up maybe 2 or 5% in the last few years, not 50%, how are you supposed to try and, and make ends meet in the, in the rental sector? And that's it. They're not just um, trying to find somewhere to live. Uh, they're quite probably uh, trying to afford this rent and save uh, themselves so that they may someday uh, be able to buy a, a property. But uh, you're also uh, talking about uh, the availability of uh, properties to rent and uh, that you say that there was an extraordinary collapse in the stock available. That's right. So it had been the case, again, going back into the 2010s, that bit by bit um, the excesses from the, 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 the Celtic Tiger were being and um, I suppose worked worked away um, nationally. If you go back to 2011, um, there were 20,000 homes available to rent. That fell steadily, and by 2015, there were 5,000 homes available to rent. And then it sort of t- sort of levelled off. And by um, late 2019, before COVID, there were still about 5,000 homes available to rent. There had been sort of ups and downs in that five-year period, but you're still talking about 5,000 homes available to rent. In it, since the reopening of um, society, I guess in, in early 2021, after the, um, the roughly year or so um, in, in, in and out of lockdown, uh, we've we've had a situation where we've gone from 5,000 homes available to rent to just 1,000, um, and that is on the back of a fall anyway in, in, in earlier years. That is again just un, unprecedented. There's an extraordinary collapse in availability. To take Waterford City, just to pick one, uh, uh, yeah. there were three three properties available to rent in Waterford City on the 1st of November um, for an entire city. Uh, Limerick, there were 10. Um, even in Dublin, there were only 350 uh, available to rent on the 1st of November. These are tiny numbers for, for, for cities. Mm. Uh, and this in line with an increase in the population. You mentioned Waterford. I heard a government minister the other day say the amount of Ukrainian refugees in this country alone uh, equates uh, to the population of a town the size of Waterford. That's right, and it, it, there's the there's the Ukrainian situation, and obviously um, we we as a country have done what we can in in facilitating uh, refugees. But even setting aside the the arrival of Ukrainians into Ireland this year, the, there's this very strong rental demand, um, both for demographic reasons, as in the age cohort that typically rents 20 to 35 year olds is bigger now than it was 10 or 20 years ago. Um, and, and at the same time, Ireland is believe it or not, an attractive place for people in other countries. They come here for, for employment um, and then they, of course, have to try and find somewhere to live. So um, again, with the COVID lockdown having an impact on the numbers, the numbers coming into Ireland have, have rebounded over the last 18 months as well. And all of that feeds through into rental demand. The obvious thing in a healthy housing system is that you'd get rental supply, new rental supply, um, to, 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 to offset that. And well, there has been um, uh, the opening of, of some new rental developments over the last year or two. It's small relative to the, um, the, the, the need. Um, and we have also, as a country, not just... Uh, and those new homes are concentrated in Dublin, but we've been losing rental supply around the country um, with, with people who had been sort of accidental landlords or, or, or similar selling up over the last few years. Okay. Uh, is there uh, any hope, uh, any solution, uh, any end to this in sight? 
In the short to medium term, so over the next, say, two to, two to five years, what's the, the only relief, I think, is going to be concentrated in the Dublin area, where there'll be another, it's estimated, maybe twenty to 30,000 rental homes coming on stream. That's not enough relative to the mismatch. My estimate would be that, that, that Dublin alone needs probably fifty to 60,000 new rental homes, but it's certainly better than, than not getting them. Um, uh, but outside Dublin, the, the picture is, is unfortunately a little bit bleaker. And I think it's really important. The government is looks set to um, change or to get rid of what is known as build to rent, mm. um, a system of rules by which new rental accommodation could get built. By all means, you can get rid of the plan A, but there should be a plan B because going to nothing, having no supports for new rental accommodation is clearly not an option given the figures we're seeing at the moment. So I think it's, it's really important that if the government does get rid of one system that they have another thing um, ready to, to, to introduce rather than just get rid of the system because we've, we've seen the impact of not building new rental homes for the last 10 years. Okay. We've seen the impact that that has had mm. and I don't think that's an option for the next 10. Okay, but we haven't realised, I mean this is the government's uh, argument, we haven't realised uh, the uh, investment uh, that it's made in housing and that in time that will start to show in the next year or two and €4 billion Euro going into housing next year. Uh, is that enough? Is it a, a question of money or is it a question of policy or is it a combination of both? So I would look at the housing system as having three main parts. You've got the owner-occupied system, you've got the social housing system and you've got the market rental system. For owner-occupied housing, I think the government has made... Um, the system in total is reasonably favourable, especially if you're looking to buy a new build. There's, uh, there are supports there in terms of help to buy. There's a new first home system and the central bank has recently relaxed rules. So if, you, if, you know, if you're a, a single person or a couple and you have an income of 70 or 75,000 a year, which is of course still uh, uh, certainly a threshold, a barrier for, for many. But if you're at that level as a, as a couple, you will probably be able to find um, somewhere to live. On social housing, as you mentioned there, the resources are being doubled for social housing, and I think that's the right response. More can be done. I think we can learn from places that do social housing better about how best to get value for money for a, a set amount of investment. If we're investing $4 billion a year, let's get good value for money out of it. But the bit that's getting neglected in all of that, with such a focus on owner-occupied and, and social housing on the part of the government, the bit that's getting neglected to me is the, the, the market rental side of things. And we can see that in the latest figures. Um, and I think it's not really a question of, of money, although there are probably options the government can explore. Mm. The question of understanding the, the gap and, and, as you say, policy Policy. Um, policy first, money second, rather than the other way around. All right. I'm sure we'll be back to it in three months. Uh, I think we say that at the end of our conversation every three months, Ronan. But uh, yeah. uh, someday, hopefully, that will change. Thank you very much, though, for joining us uh, this time around uh, this quarter. Uh, and uh, indeed, uh, dreadful, dreadful stuff. Again, the highest uh, record uh, increase um, that has been asked of people who are renting property. That's Ronan Lyons, an economist at Trinity College in Dublin, who's the author of uh, that report uh, for daft.ie. Eamon of No Party, as he signs his text messages, has been in touch saying, when our government needs money, they screw motorists. The carbon footprint in Ireland is a load of you-know-what. Our country is tiny compared to, to most other countries. The Green Party, he feels... Uh, her a joke. If we had proper public transport system outside of the main cities, people would be able to leave their cars at home. Thank you indeed, Eamon. I think that's uh, what the Green Party would like to see happen. 
Uh, but I'm uh, not uh, obviously impressed with that. Uh, Ellen in touch with us about the attack on the Gardaí, saying everybody wants Gardaí on the streets with a baton and with pepper stray. Would you or me take on these thugs? They should have cameras. Are, are we way behind other countries? Uh, I hope those two Gardaí are okay, says Ellen. Well, it seems as though uh, they've been released from hospital and seem to be physically okay at this stage, Ellen. But thank you indeed for making contact with us today. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, yesterday was Equal Pay Day, and as you may have heard, that meant that working women in this country will work up to the end of the year, but effectively for no pay. Uh, that's relative to men because of the gender pay gap. Let's speak to Sonia Lennon, who's the founder of Work Equal. A very good morning to you, Sonia, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. The gender pay gap is at 11.3%, apparently, uh, which uh, is not as bad as some countries. I think the average in Europe is 13%, but it's certainly not as good as some countries either. That's right, and good morning, Michael. Thank you so much for inviting me on. You're very welcome. Uh, I think there'll be a lot of uh, women dismayed at the idea uh, of working today uh, for effectively nothing. Yeah, well, I I think what's interesting about this whole conversation is that we started this campaign seven years ago. um, And at the time, uh, your illustrious colleagues in the media um, either either didn't give us any airtime or didn't believe us. <laughs> so um, we were we were really faced into a, a landscape of gender pay gap deniers, if you like. And um, now, cut to uh, last October, we did a piece of nationally re- representative research with behaviour and attitudes, which saw that seventy four percent of the population see closing the pay gap should be a priority for government and businesses alike. And I think that's really, really heartening and really important because that's a sort of a sentimental litmus test of where we are as as a nation. And and our gender pay gap has come down from last mm-hmm. year. Uh, it's come down three clicks, a little bit more than three clicks. Um, and, you know, we, we have everything it takes as a nation to to be better, to be among the best in the world. And in fact, we were recently in Iceland and speaking to the Prime Minister about how we could work closer together as, as you know, them being the, the most gender equal country in the world and us being um, aspiring in that direction. Yeah. So I, a change is happening. The, the problem is the pace of change and what we really need to do to drive it forward. All right. Well, childcare uh, seems to be what's driving this gap between what men and women are paid because women generally look after the children. What happens in Iceland? So in Iceland, um, there there are three key drivers that have really made um, the seismic shift. Um, they they have legislation for shared parental leave, which is split four four and a half months, four and a half months, and then six weeks toggleable. Um, they have universal, sustainable, affordable childcare, which is ninety percent funded by the state. And you might think, well, that's all great. We can't afford to do that as a nation. In fact, in regions where this has been implemented, the very worst case scenario scenario is that, um, from a bird's eye view, this is cost neutral. And in the best case scenarios, you're adding an additional twenty percent to GDP. So this makes financial sense mm. because it mobilises uh, a greater workforce. Um, and really supercharges the economy. And the third piece 
is um, a, a consumer-facing kite mark. Um, I think this is really interesting in the face of our first year of gender pay gap reporting, which is just about to happen. Um, the next step for the Icelandic administration is that once you've submitted your report, if you are operating to the most equitable standards, you are awarded this kite mark. It lives on your goods and services. And it becomes, I suppose, an opportunity for the citizens to vote with their pockets right. as to whether right. they right. want to support you or uh, not. A badge of honour. A badge of honour. Yeah. Like an ISO mark, yeah. uh, like a health and safety, whatever it is, that your quality um, credentials would also be displayed. Uh, actually, I, I thought we could afford that uh, type of uh, childcare. More than a, a decade ago, we were promised, I think, by Joan Burton, a Scandinavian-type uh, model of uh, childcare, but we're still waiting. Yeah, and I, you know, a lot has happened in between. That's been a pretty tumultuous decade. But I think now, you know... Legislation and policy um, ultimately always changes from the grassroots, from the movements that are driving real change. And and certainly we would see um, buy-in, certainly from a cross-party basis. And I think this needs to be part of a national strategy for for early um, childhood care reform. And the big difference in, in jurisdictions like Iceland is that they don't see childcare as a sort of a facilitation mechanism to allow parents go to work. They see it as the right of the child to receive appropriate early years education, and that inclu- includes socialisation. Mm. And, and really, I think shifting, and, and certainly we work very closely with Early Childhood Ireland, and they're certainly saying from a strategic point of view that that makes more sense on a million different levels. Okay. Uh, can we afford it? Uh, to uh, give you back uh, that question, because uh, I mean, it's uh, the cost of a small mortgage uh, and or a big mortgage, depending on where you live. Uh, some people decide that they can't uh, afford to work because uh, of uh, the cost of childcare. If uh, the state here was uh, defunded in the same way as they do in Iceland, uh, it would undoubtedly be a considerable bill. Because I think you said uh, they fund ninety percent of the cost of childcare. Yeah, but the bigger question is, can we afford not to do it? Mm. If it's cost neutral and has the opportunity to add 20% to the GDP, we're being very short-termist in our view of what works in society if we don't consider it. Mm. Okay, Uh, and uh, it's not going to change uh, otherwise, is it? I mean, uh, the children, the mother is always going to be left holding the baby. Well, I think that's why the the legislation around shared parental leave is really, really important because, unfortunately, the inequities in workplaces begin literally at the point of of, of entry um, when a recruiter is sitting looking at, uh, you know, a, a man and a woman sitting opposite them and they're weighing up. And, you know, I've had very frank conversations with, with recruiters who say, you, you know, you can't help but even, never mind the unconscious bias, consciously think, you know, she could be going off on uh, on maternity leave and he's less likely to do it. And, and you know, in, in the Nordics and in Iceland, where it has become the social norm for men to play their role in early uh, childhood care, you know, it's it's not even questioned. And and the statistics and the research are there to bear out the benefit, not just to the child, but to the father in these instances um, where there is increased bonds between the, 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 chi- the father and the child mm. and also a greater sense of um, empathy and respect for for each other in terms of what we bring to the table in caring duties and you know there is there is a, a huge penalty which women pay for taking the brunt of that caring 
duty. Um, but I think I think we're ripe now to rebalance it. And not only that, I think the next generation of men and women are hardwired to live in that way. Our duty now is to make sure that we're preparing the landscape of the workplace to be ready to facilitate their ideals. All right. Um, it's uh, an issue that obviously impacts half of the population. Uh, actually, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll actually question that. All right. It impacts all of the population. Hmm. Because this is actually not a women's issue, it's a societal issue. And the benefits of doing this properly will be societally felt. Okay, very good. Uh, <laughs> I, that was a bit of a rant, wasn't it, Michael? <laughs> oh, well, it's, do you know what? It's a, it's a rant that uh, we've been having in this year for, I don't know, at least three or four decades. Uh, and one um, that always results in promises being made uh, and that idea of a Scandinavian model of childcare being promised. But uh, I'm not sure we realise what that means in effect and giving people the opportunities that it would provide them if they weren't worried about starting a family or how big their family were or if they could work or not work because of the family that they decide to have and the opportunities then that come whether you decide to stay at home and mind your children or go to work or go to work and do overtime and all of that sort of thing. Exactly. It's a simple enough thing and it works very very well in these Scandinavian countries and I think a lot of us fail to understand that uh, a lot of the time uh, and uh, I'm uh, probably as equally guilty of ranting there Sonia but thank you indeed uh, for joining us <laughs> good to talk to you thank you Sonia, so much for having me thank Michael. you Sonia Lennon founder of Work Equal Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Well, now, as usual, around this time on a, a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. Ordinarily, we have a, a list of crimes uh, that Garda are investigating. Uh, this week, uh, we've a, a change of format uh, and uh, we've uh, some advice for you uh, to prevent you falling subject to, to crime. Uh, we're joined by Garda Patrick Gill of Trim Garda Station. And uh, as I say, there's a number of issues uh, you want to advise people on to advise them uh, from falling victim to crime. Uh, and we've had a, a lot of catalytic converters stolen. Uh, and this is uh, the first thing you want to talk about. Yes, that's correct, Michael. And first of all, good morning to yourself and indeed your listeners. Yes, so in relation to catalytic, catalytic converter thefts, uh, they continue to target vehicles, most recently hybrid Toyotas. It's important for owners to take the following crime prevention measures. So when parking in public, park in a non-isolated place where there's good street lighting, consider purchasing a catalytic converter lock or clamp, which will help prevent its theft and deter any potential criminals. And you can also have it marked with the VIN or vehicle registration number, which is unique to that to that vehicle, obviously. And if you notice any suspicious activity or any persons examining or looking at the vehicle that's in, in a suspicious manner, uh, please do call Gardaí at 999 or 112. And just bear in mind as well that these occur very quickly. The, the, the criminals are very proficient in what they do. And so the... The reason that these catalytic converters are taken is because they have a high scrap value. So it's very important just to park in uh, in, in bright lit up areas. And if you notice any suspicious activity, as I mentioned, just contact Gardaí at nine 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 or one one two. Okay, winter and winter weather advice now for motorists. Yes, so um, I know the unseasonable weather isn't isn't too good right now, but occasionally uh, we do see a, a burst of sunshine. Uh, so. Obviously, sunshine can can be quite a, a great thing to see, but when you're driving, it can have its own sort of hazards. So, just these are tips to avoid the winter sun glare while you're driving. So, just keep the inside and outside of your windscreen clean. Oftentimes, the the conventional way of wiping with your hand, if not not the best practice, because it does sort of stain the glass. So, you know, if you sort of a, a 
a windscreen cleaner or anything like that to try and make sure that the windscreen is kept clean. Also, in addition to that, keep your, your washer fluid topped up. Always check your wipers are in working order. Don't use high-gloss products on the dashboard as this can worsen the glare. Some dashboards do have sort of the, the full plastic appearance and if the sun does does, uh, does reflect off them, it can be, uh, it can be a bit of a, um, a glare that, that could affect your, your vision while you're driving. Uh, use your sun visor, very important. Sunglasses can also help prevent glare. I know it might seem, seem quite silly to be wearing sunglasses in the middle of winter, but uh, lots of sunglasses have the, the, the UV protection, so they do indeed keep out the sunlight from your eyes. And always leave extra space between your, your car and others in the event of having to make a sudden stop. So always, naturally enough, when, when the weather is poor, just to make sure you maintain a safe distance from the vehicle in front. And also be mindful of obstructions, whether that be cyclists, pedestrians as well. Uh, extra vigilant coming out of junctions and around bends, and always give yourself plenty of extra time for your for your journey. Don't be rushing. That's definitely one one important piece of advice we'd give you. And when possible, change your journey time in order to avoid the sunrise or sunset. That is not always the case. Obviously, people have to work in the mornings and they come home in the evenings. But where possible, if it's a, a trip of, of leisure, by all means, uh, just uh, adjust your journey accordingly. Okay. Uh, you also want to advise people to make uh, their homes look lived in on dark nights. Absolutely. This, this time of year, uh, obviously, it's it's uh, dark a lot quicker, and people are out for whatever reason, whether we work or shopping in the run up to the Christmas period. So we always encourage you to lock up light up this winter to help keep your home safe. So would you believe Thursdays and Fridays between 5 p.m. and 11 p.m. are the times most likely for a break-in to occur? So whether you're at home or going out, just remember to turn on some lights. I understand that it might be uh, logical with the with with electricity, but even timer switches that can that can come on and off intermittently. Lock your doors and windows. Use an alarm. Store keys away from windows and letterboxes that people can have easy access to. And uh, don't keep large amounts of cash or jewellery in the house. Okay, and uh, I think uh, you also want to advise people uh, about. Uh uh, being safe on the internet, especially as uh, we go into the Cyber Weekend. Absolutely, Michael. Yeah, so, uh, as you mentioned, Cyber Weekend, so Black Friday and Cyber Monday is uh, two traditionally, well, lately, they've become more traditional in Ireland for uh, popular shopping periods in the run to Christmas. So even if you are a regular shopper online, remember that there are a lot of criminals that set up fake websites and fake ads and social media. So just be alert, because they will try and, and uh, obtain your, your details in any, any means possible. So these are just some tips to avoid being a victim of online fraud. Uh, be scam aware of the campaign that's currently being run. So use domestic retail web- websites when possible. So any with, a, with an .ie domain, you're more likely that you can sort out any problems with, with delivery and, and sort of uh, if it's the case that the payment doesn't go through. So it's just uh, that would be one recommendation we have. Do your research. So if you're buying a product, always check the reviews before buying. Obviously, better better reviews uh, influence your decision to buy a better product. Use credit cards. You have more chances of getting your money back. Uh, I know it's not always the case, but that would be best practice if you have the, a credit card to use. Pay only use uh, pay only using a secure payment service. So if they're asking for money transfer or wire transfer, just think twice about that because oftentimes it's uh, there is a, an ulterior motive. So just if you have your PayPal things like that, they'll be a secure sites. So always uh, consider those. Uh, pay only in a, pay only on a safe device. So your phone, your laptop your tablet, just make sure that your operating system and security software is up to date. They do, they do uh, update very frequently, uh, so just be mindful of that. Uh, beware of ads offering outrageous deals on miracle products, and it's the usual, the, the age-old uh, famous saying, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. And uh, Especially something like that, occasionally when you're browsing different websites, a pop-up ad will say you may have won a prize or a phone, Definitely do not click on it because oftentimes it introduces viruses into your device and that can be just um, 
detrimental for your device completely through the system. And if your product doesn't arrive on time, contact the seller. And if there's no answer, contact your bank. But always, if any suspicious activity that you notice, by all means, please contact your local guard station and we'll be able to help you from there. Garda Patrick Gale of Trim Garda Station, thank you. We'll return to the Garda Crime Desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's programme. Now, more comments for you before we leave you today. Liam in touch with us saying he agrees with the... Liam in touch with us uh, today saying he agrees with the idea of a custodial sentence uh, for anyone who attacks emergency service workers. He says it's no good letting attackers away with a slap on the wrist. That isn't a deterrent. We need to be sending out a short, sharp message to people who commit these crimes and let them know that this brutal behaviour has consequences. Sarah says she cannot not understand why Eamon Ryan seems to be dragging his heels on putting a halt to the proposed increases uh, to uh, the tolls. He's finally agreed to review the proposal, but as yet, he still hasn't committed to halting the movie. His coalition partners want to see it halted, so why isn't he rowing in with them? He's on a solo run on this. Uh, thanks uh, for that, Sarah. I think it's because it'll cost his department €25 million. Euro. Uh, that seems to be the answer for that. On the Garda assaults, John says that, like every decent person in this country, he's hoping for a speedy and full recovery for both members of Angarda Shia Khanna who were attacked in Ballyfermot. It's now up to the courts and the judges to make sure that those responsible are held accountable for their disgusting actions. And Sam says that the courts should throw the book at anyone who assaults a member of Angarda Shia Khanna or any other frontline emergency service worker. It's despicable, uh, he says, uh, that some people think it's OK to cause harm to those who are merely trying to serve our communities. Thank you indeed if you were in touch today. That has to be the final word. Our programme has run out of time. Uh, Paul McKenna was in uh, the control tower. Maggie McGuire researched. I'm Michael. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie LMFM Podcasts. With CNC Carpets, we bring the showroom to you. Or book a new showroom appointment on 087 660 4237. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.